Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Returning to the podcast today, we have the witty and wonderful writer-director Jessica Ellis, a graduate of UCLA and the American Film Institute, who made her feature filmmaking debut with the acclaimed coming-of-age movie, What Lies West. Jessica is one of the brightest lights on Twitter and never fails to make me smile. Jessica, I want to thank you so much for doing this, for being here. I always enjoy talking to you on Twitter and seeing your latest posts on screenwriting and life. So thank you for doing this. How are you doing? And how's this year been going for you? I'm I'm good. I'm doing okay. Um, yeah, I, I escaped Los Angeles at the end of last year. And I am living out my little like Robert Frost dreams in the countryside now. And it, it has been wonderful. And, uh, you know, the strike is over and everybody's back to work. And that it, that's a huge relief. So it feels like we're we're easing into a, a nice holiday season in terms of the film world. <laughs> the rest of the world is falling apart, but the film yeah. world, we're, we're getting back on track. <laughs> we're getting people back to work. I think the SAG strike, you know, we're going to eventually once like six to eight weeks, they know they can mess around until some scripts get in. Yeah. Then we need those actors back. So hold on, actors, get what you deserve. And uh, yes, Absolutely. we're rooting for everyone. And you mentioned living out your Robert Frost dreams. I love on Instagram when you post all these beautiful photos of like you picking apples or in the country <laughs> or things you're baking. I mean, you were always baking cool things, but um, but yeah, it's lovely. So tell me about, I mean, you know, privacy, you don't have to say where you're living, but like, tell me about living in a different place from LA. Yeah. I moved uh, I moved up to Sonoma County which is where I grew up but I haven't lived here since I was 22 so it's been oh, wow. almost almost 20 years and and uh it's just LA is a beautiful city I love so much about it ultimately it just was not for me in terms of atmosphere and I think I really underestimated how much like walking out your door and having the environment feel fulfilling instead of draining mm. affects your brain. Yeah. So, so yes, I, I'm going to farm stands and I've befriended a llama. It's, it's a very <laughs> silly and strange existence and I'm, I'm greatly enjoying it. I wonder if I'll get restless for the city at some point, but right now it's just idyllic and I love it. That's so cool. So right now you're in the part of baby boom where you're like in the Sam Shepard. Um, everything <laughs> yeah. is great. You're making applesauce, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I'm in the first act of of everything that goes bad at the moment, but <laughs> but I'm enjoying it while it lasts. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we have a lot of similar taste in movies and also kind of our outlooks on life and everything going on. So it wasn't terribly surprising that you were kind of into some of the same uh, films that I was, but I was so excited when I saw recently I was watching The Illusionist. I was like, I think five people probably like this movie or remember <laughs> it. And Jessica immediately was like, we need to talk about this movie or something. Yes. And I was like, yes, please. So I, I'm so excited. And we were trying to figure out, should we do adaptations? Should we do, and I thought with Halloween, magic seems like kind of a cool thing. And you also are kind of my friend who knows fantasy films. And um, you have a really cool outlook on those as far as um, blending them with contemporary fare. So I was really excited to get your outlook on fantasy movies and magic on screen. Do you have any thoughts you want to share? Oh, I mean, I think, you know, it's really where my my heart lies as a filmmaker and as a film watcher. Like, I, you know, I love all genres of movies, but like if you give me s some beautiful pastoral setting and a hint of a little bit of magic and mystery, like I'm hooked. I'm there. I'm, I'm going to be in the seat. So so I was really excited that we're going to we're going to talk about magic and magicians and magic in films, not necessarily like the wizardy type but yeah uh, yeah but but more specifically magic like magician magic and uh, uh yeah this is this is just the kind of film that i i i feel that robert roger ebert and i 
would understand these films in the same way. Like this is a real ratatouille revert to childhood. Just enjoy the films for what they are genre for me. So I don't know if I'm the best critic on them, but I love to talk about them and I love to watch them. Well, two of the movies I know for a fact Eber really loved. He loves Something Wicked This Way Comes and Illusionist. I think he gave both of those like 3.5 out of 4. So. Yeah. Yeah, these were definitely two that he had a lot of affection for. And for those listening, we're going to be discussing Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is totally new to me. And also The Illusionist, which we mentioned before from 2006, that version. There's been a lot of movies with that title. And then also the first Now You See Me movie, which is not a classic, but it kind of fits in with what we're talking about. And had a lot of good ideas and an amazing cast. So... Yes, you mentioned magicians. Here's where um, it kind of diverges for me. I love magicians on screen and like I'm a huge fan of Ricky Jay, but like magicians in real life kind of give me the the heebie jeebies. They creep you out. Yeah. A little bit. Do you have any? Uh, I was married to one for a while. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my my first uh, lamented marriage uh, was was to a, <laughs> to a magician who was also a son of a pretty well-known magician oh, who wow. performed at the Magic Castle. And and so, like, I, 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 ha- I agree. They're a little creepy. And I got divorced for a reason. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I've really enjoyed in the last few years, or I guess the last, like, decade, shows like, um, the Penn and Teller one, Fool Me, or was that what it was oh, called? Yeah, I can't remember. Because mm-hmm. you see the kind of different tenor of of magicians and and their stage personas, which tend to be a little bit sleazy. Uh, yeah, and then what they're really like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite it's quite an interesting contrast. Um, so they're true. they're a weird nerdy bunch. Yeah, I had no idea about that. I mean, uh, your background. So I kind of like walked right into that. Oh, my <laughs> no, God. I wasn't mine. sitting there like Google stalking Jessica. Like, what was her first marriage? Oh, my. I was so young. I was practically illegal. So it, it, okay. doesn't, it doesn't count. Well, my one, as far as like romantic-y thing with the magician was I was 17. I was in a restaurant with my parents. It was like a Mexican restaurant and all of a sudden this like magician just came over and made a beeline. He was apparently waiting for um, a children's party to get there and he was supposed to be entertaining and he was like early or whatever. Oh, he, so just he just contain he himself. He just like walked over and like to me and just can I do some magic for you? And I was like, I didn't want, but my dad was so excited like, yes. And so he, he just immediately <laughs> said yes. And this guy starts doing all these and like the entire restaurant is now looking and, you know, you're a teenager. It's weird. And he kept touching me, like touching my neck and mm, my arm. Not okay. No. Kind of creepy. And after like six or seven tricks where it was like, let's stroke her arm again or do that kind of thing. It was just creepy. And then at the end, he said, you know, can I take you out sometime or have your, your number or something? And I just, I think I said, um, no, I'm good or something. And, and then, um, I had to go to the bathroom later. Like he, his party came and he left and he did that. He followed me to the bathroom. Oh my God. Yes. And it was right outside and he goes, okay, so now that your parents aren't around, do you want to give me your phone number? And I think that was not the factor. That was not the problem. I think I told him (laughs) I was 17 too. And uh, so he's like, so now that they're not around, do you want to give me the number? And I just, the the meanest thing probably I've ever said to a dude in my life is I said, you're a magician. Why don't you get it out of thin air? Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) It's like the one comeback I ever had in like 40 some years. Oh, that is so beautiful. I'm so (laughs) glad you did that. That was a gift from a muse was watching that situation. I'm kind of shy. I'm, I'm amazed I said that, but yeah, so that was my one cold thing was versus a magician. So we love them <laughs> on screen, but what we're saying is romantically, they're probably not for you. Don't use it to pick people up. Don't it's yeah, not and, it's and not we'll cool. get to this when we talk about now you see them. But yeah, trying to make magic cool is never gonna work. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you have like remember those Fisher Price kits and stuff when we were kids? Did you ever have one or your well, friends? I- yeah, I was the youngest kid, so I think I had like half of two tricks left from one that one of my older siblings had. I do remember there was some kind of a rabbit situation, like okay. a, 
yeah. But but yeah, I never really got into it myself. I I I intri- like instantly was keyed into the fact that this is a power dynamic you're pulling on someone. Stage magic is about essentially proving you're smarter than someone yeah. in, in real life. And and I didn't like how that felt. Like that just felt so manipulative to me that that it yeah. was never something I I, I like watching magic tricks, but like I never really wanted to learn any. Yeah, I tried to do a few with cards. I think everybody goes through that. Like, sure. oh, a card trick, you know. And I have uncles who like could count cards and were really good with cards. And so they tried to teach me like one or two. I messed them up every time, you know. But yeah, so it was, it's always something fun to watch. I love watching on YouTube, Ricky J and his 52 assistants. Oh, yeah fabulous yeah and of course magicians just in the movies i mean because movie making is a magic trick that's kind of why we love it very much so yeah it gets right to the heart of that this this genre did you always love kind of magic on film when you were a kid um i think it scared me a lot as a kid (laughs) i was i was a really easy scare so anything that Anything that seemed tricky, like I remember being absolutely terrified by Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which is a movie I adore. But like when everything starts coming to life and and everything (laughs) like that, that just I was like out the door running outside, screaming away from that. So it definitely um, the 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 the. The thing that makes it so intriguing is the mysteriousness, is the possibility that is there something supernatural going on that you don't know about? You know, that's what makes magic really exciting. And and on the screen, like once I got over being scared by it, that became a really intriguing draw for me. Anytime there's a movie about a magician, I'll probably see it. Yeah. Disney can kind of mess you up when you're little. I remember the first it's probably my first movie going experience that I remember. And we actually had to like leave because some of the neighbor kids we went with got so freaked out, but it was Fantasia. And yes, uh, <laughs> yes it was like the middle of that. The centaurs were just wigging out the kids that I was, was like, we need the to go. The centaurs? They got through the dinosaurs? Okay. Yeah, but not the I don't centaurs. know. The centaurs was like a bridge too far, <laughs> I guess. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it was Black Cauldron for me. I went, I went flailing out of the theater. I think I was like four. My father was one of those dads that was like, I'll be fine, and like managed to traumatize each one of us individually (laughs) with our own film. So it was Black Cauldron for me. Oh, Black Cauldron was kind of terrifying. I remember that one. It was a darker Disney. Yeah. There's like a scene where skeletons come out of a cauldron, and that was that was it for me. No. Yeah. Well, uh, when we're talking about Disney and chronologically, the first movie is Something Wicked This Way Comes, which was totally new. I think I might have read the Ray Bradbury book like growing up, but I don't, you know, have that much of a memory of it. So talk to me about your relationship with the movie, the book. The movie, I, I can't remember. I think I've read the story at some point, too, but my parents taped the movie off of I don't know a free weekend of Disney or something in the 80s that was how we had all of our movies and uh, and I so I remember watching this from a very very young age like probably five or six wow um and so it's one of those movies that you know it was kind of on on our in our house a lot like we watched movies 25 times in in my family so so it imprinted on my brain in all of these ways. And I don't think I've revisited it again until I watched it this last week. Um, and it was it was stunning to be to look at it as a filmmaker. It's always interesting to view things after you've become a filmmaker that you saw before. Yeah. You know, and and just realizing, oh my God, this movie informs so much of what I find spooky in film and and so much of what I find like appealing about spooky but not like horror films it verges yeah, on yeah. horror. it's pretty scary but it is scary i mean i was like the tarantula scene i'm yeah, 42 and it scared the shit out of me yeah. yeah the tarantulas were not fun um but but yeah i just remember being terrified of it but being really enchanted by the setting and the world you know and and having that real sense of an an autumn octobery 
spooky movie, which I think is always the right season to set a spooky movie in if if you it can really set is. it in autumn. You know, and the, and it's interesting because autumn becomes such a thematic element of that film. The idea of that they the the creepy carnival people call themselves the autumn people, and there there's all of this association with the death and transformation and and all mm-hmm. of this. So it's you know perfect setting, perfect melding of theme and content there. It is. Yeah, we're heading into winter, the winter of our lives, and it's getting colder and it's getting darker. Yeah. And it is kind of perfect. It goes with another Disney thing I remember loving as a kid was the Ichabod Crane um, oh, yeah. animation. Yeah, that, that song gets stuck in your head. I won't sing it because <laughs> it'll be there all week and like we're going to get hate mail. But anyway... But yes, um, this was gorgeous too. And I think I love like the Norman Rockwell kind of the the way it begins. I know some critics like Janet Maslin, who I know on Twitter, um, very she's very cool and she'll uh, send me some of her old stuff. And so I did look up um, her review of this and she was talking about, you know, it's a little forced with the Norman Rockwell thing at the beginning, but then it's kind of you need that you need to root it in this sort of like innocence of these kids born like yeah so apart on Halloween or it's perfect and then it just gets spookier and uh the cast I mean you have Jason Robards but um you have Jonathan Price before he was anybody I, amazing yeah. in this movie i think it's the best role he ever did i i i he i was trying to think of god who would you cast in this if you remade yeah. this thing who who could pull this off because he is so creepy and feral oh. it's it's astonishing it's not it's not anything i've really seen him do again and i wish i i wish he had gone into more because it was a really interesting character yeah i mean i you know i think the big flaw in the movie is that ray bradbury not a fantastic screenwriter and adapting your own prose material to screenplays is incredibly difficult and it yeah. it shows it feels over addicted to the book it in in a in a in the dialogue and and in the pacing and and stuff um where i think you know if you'd put that in the hands of another screenwriter you would have gotten a much more mm-hmm. a, a film with a lot more narrative thrust to it yeah um, yeah you kind of need that distance like a lot of my friends who are novelists they're always given like you can adapt it the first time or write the first script and then they bring in somebody else to write their own version or something or kind of it's a little bit of a and it's a distance and it's like the book and the movie are two separate things and that's important i think and in this case you have um jack clayton now i know the behind the scenes of this are kind of complicated like um, he did an uncredited rewrite on Ray Bradbury's script yeah. and there was like an issue. And then then he got kind of like fired and they did a bunch of reshoots and stuff after some bad test screenings. So I'm not exactly sure, but you have Clayton who made The Innocence, which is, you know, a brilliant oh, movie. Great so movie. scary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It it's it's an interesting film. You know, it, it's weird. Disney was in that weird period where they were trying because this is sort of around the time Watcher in the Woods came out too, right? It's the terrified same. me that movie, yes. right? But that also had an absolutely nightmare production situation where they there's oh, three it? different okay. endings. Yeah, it bombed. It was it was you know not successful. And this too, you know, there were some critics like Ebert that loved it, but really, it I think it flew kind of under the radar. It was not a particularly yeah. popular film when it came out. But yeah, I think it's worth a revisit. The magic in it is, you know, it's the real magic as temptation. Ma- magic, yes. it, it's pure devil magic. It's tied to the seven deadly sins in this. There's lust, there's greed, there's, you know, yeah. all this stuff. Um, and and it is, it's kind of magic at its most primal that this idea that it's it's black magic, it will reel you in through your weaknesses and that's how you're taken advantage of by it. And and ultimately it will, it will, end you up in hell basically so it's kind of uh the, the old school medieval version of magic and that's interesting too it really is because it makes kids think about that a little bit it gives you i mean it's because it's bradbury and he's working with um this type of thing and allegory and all of the allusions to as you said the biblical uh, nature of sin and you know i think that works so well with some of these characters and 
Um, also, it makes you question, you know, issues of vanity and stuff. And these are good lessons for kids to kind of consider, like um, the dad who feels old and he is older than other dads. And like, is he, you know, still virile and can he protect his family? Yeah. And then the the teacher who was the great beauty and now she she's not and she misses sort of that attention. And, you know, the kids look at her a different way than they would have years earlier just, I mean, the level of the cast, you have Pam Greer looking, you know, phenomenal. Oh, she's so stunning. Stunning. <laughs> I mean, just still one of the most beautiful women. And then you have um, Diane Ladd. And, you know, I mean, the cast is great. I love that you brought up, like, who else would you cast as John than Jonathan Price? I'm almost glad I didn't see this as a kid because the first thing I ever saw with him was Jumpin' Jack Flash, which we watched, like, repeatedly oh, in childhood. Amazing. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't grow up, like, with the vocab of a trucker. I watched Jumpin' Jack Flash and Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run, like, nonstop. And um, so Jonathan Price was this dashing spy who oh, yeah. Yeah, um, was going to be with Woofie Goldberg at the end of Jumping Jack Flash. And I think I would have been like, run, if I had seen <laughs> this movie first. Yes. Yeah, he is so tremendously creepy. And I really like that the, the magic in this, although you know it's supernatural, is portrayed like there is a clear attempt to make it look like uh, it is manufactured you know it's using stuff yeah. like tattoos on the skin and like yeah. these you know sleight of hand stuff and these things that are like the trappings of stage musician magicians but in this case are are covering up something much darker and i think that attention to like what what is being portrayed feels like it could be real mm-hmm. um is is so important in making this film work at all. Like you have to believe that the townspeople would not, cause you know, you're kind of like immediately like, well, that's obviously evil. That circus is clearly evil. Yeah. But because they couch the magic in this stuff that you would expect to see from traveling magic- magicians and traveling carnivals, like it, it feels like, yeah, I get it. I get how you could just think this is regular for a while. It's a really nice way to approach the, the magic is it's all stuff you could see being reproduced by non-demonic magicians. <laughs> yeah. And it's a hard movie to find. Luckily, one of my friends had it on their Plex server, so I was able to watch it that way. But I think you had told me, is it on YouTube right now? Yeah, there's a bootleg full version on YouTube. I got a, I ordered a DVD that just okay. because you can still get those. But it's it's not a great transfer. It's pre- I think it was made from a print. It's Yeah, this movie has oh. really been buried in, in Disney's burial ground, I think. But it's a shame. And it's definitely one that feels like, much as we need original movies like this one you could remake the technology has come so far there's stuff that effects that don't quite work and and it's like this could be really beautifully envisioned again if if someone could get in there and convince disney to let them do it yeah i think there was going to be a remake like was uh, there some years ago yeah in was it 2013 somebody had the rights um but i'm not sure if it ever got made yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I, yeah. I wish it I wish it had because yeah, it's 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 beautiful IP. It's a wonderful story about aging and changing and you know, all the stuff with with the main kid's buddy, Jim wanting to be older and why he wants to be older, you know, he has no father and, and yeah. that is yeah, there's just themes with time and aging and acceptance of your life that are are so interesting and deep in there for a kids movie, <laughs> you know, yes. a movie that was definitely aimed at 12 year olds. Well, Jessica, you're one state away. And I just saw that um, the Jack Clayton director's cut, there is a copy of it on VHS at the Ray Bradbury Institute. So like, Ooh. we need to do a road trip. Yes. You know, and then go over there and check it out. And like, you know, report back is what i'm thinking because i would love that one copy yeah wow gotta you know this is dispatches from uh the front lines here we're can we rile up twitter can we release the bradbury cut this there you go (laughs) yes yeah or also just like disney release this again it's perfect for this time of year too i mean i don't know when everyone started calling it spooky season like growing up i don't remember that being the thing yeah 
this is a spooky season kind of movie. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. And it's a good one for if you're if you're not like a gore person, not a big there's not a lot of jump scares in it, which I can't no. handle at all. <laughs> uh so as long as you can handle some tarantulas, you'd be fine. Yes. Absolutely. Well, our next movie is The Illusionist, which kind of brought us to where we are today. Uh, 2006. I remember seeing this in the theater. Neil Berger directed. It is gorgeous. I mean, you have um, Dick Pope, the cinematographer behind so many of those Mike Lee movies that are, are mm-hmm. stunning. You know, his cinematography is just magical you have philip glass with the the score what was amazing is i actually praised the score and i'm like what more do you need and philip glass found it on twitter i didn't tag him oh my god and i'm like wow philip glass and you have just an incredible cast i'm a huge fan of edward norton as an actor paul giamatti rufus sewell is great he's always playing like the dark evil guy in these movies especially these romantic dramas jessica beale i mean we kind of have to forget the fact that like on no planet is she the same age as edward norton that they would have been kids at the same time but we're just like whatever it's kind of like uh kiss kiss bang bang (laughs) like you know what (laughs) michelle monaghan and robert downey jr did not go to high school together it's fine yeah. yeah yeah they're adults they're fine it's, it's fine it's fine it's, it's yes. not a creepy age gap no yeah yeah we don't need to have like a whole like think piece about it yes. yeah uh but the illusionist is just beautiful it's kind of one of those old-fashioned like a storybook come to life it isn't surprising that you would love this because it's kind of like you know if you'd like it doesn't have the comedy but if you like princess bride or movies of that type you're sure. probably going to get into this yeah yeah, I love, 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 love this movie. I just adore it. I, I saw it when it came out too. I think one of the producers was teaching at UCLA at the time and I was going to school Amazing. there at the time. And that's why that's why I was interested in it kind of more than the prestige that came out at the same time. And um I just it's a an amazing love story. Like it, it is. really is an A plus love story and and so lush. You know, the, the Philip Glass score is so reinforcing of again kind of what they're doing with magic in this world where it's very grounded and it's stuff that can be recreated and it's mechanical and you know philip glass's beautiful work with like iterative melodies that that you just hear over and over and over again yeah has that kind of yeah yeah, it has that manufactured feel to it and and i think it just meshes beautifully i love the sepia color palette they they go to with this and you know there are there are so many interesting things swimming under the surface of this movie that are subtextual. You know, there's there's kind of subtle anti-Semitism going on. Yeah. And yeah, and there's all of this looking at 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 magic as a potential source of power and and can it be used to disrupt things politically? You know, and at the same time, like Edward Norton does not play this guy as he plays him as very intense, very mm-hmm. driven not arrogant, not sleazy. You know, Mm -hmm. he's, he's humble. He's kind to children. Like he doesn't really care about the money he's making or, or even really his reputation. He's doing something really authentic. And I think you have to be vulnerable to this movie. You have to agree to let yourself be kind of swept into it. You you can't approach it cynically. You know, it was so interesting. This and the Prestige came out, you know, the same year and Prestige won the battle critically and and, and audience wise. But like, I like this one a lot better. I, I find it to have such a heart to it and so much yeah. passion behind it. It's kind of the polar opposite of the Prestige. Yeah, the other one is very cold and, you know, yeah. it's dark and ominous. And, you know, I do remember liking the Prestige. I'm kind of one of those people, I'm not a huge Nolan person, but like early Nolan, I liked more than than late Nolan or, or the middle stuff, I should say. I did like Dunkirk quite a bit Mm. but um but i liked you know memento and the earlier movies the insomnia remake and i do remember the prestige being very good but illusionist is the one i watch all the time i don't know the last time i watched prestige i didn't think about re-watching it recently because i had a conversation with a friend and they were going on about maybe that's nolan's best and i'm like i guess i should watch it again um but overall also you know, uh, he is he who should not be mentioned. Uh, we had another magic movie that came out that year, Scoop, 
the uh the oh Woody, yes yeah, that's right the Woody movie with um Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson so we had like three magic movies that was bombed in theaters as well um I don't know if this bombed but it just didn't do anywhere near as well as it should have uh by far and so it was really gratifying to see when I said that some people like latching onto it and going, no, I really love this movie. Like the author, Susan Elliott McNeil was like, no, it's so good. And so it was cool to see other people get into this one. It is, Yeah, it is. It is really, I think, a really undervalued film. Like it, 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 the s- script works on every level, yeah. like everything connects ev- every, the layers of class and the layers of love and romance that are in there. Like it all clicks. You know, it is so hard to pull off a cross movie magic trick that takes the whole thing. But at the end with that reveal with Paul Giamatti, like you are with him every second. Like I remember practically cheering in the theater. You know, it takes a writer with an incredibly special brain to be able to craft a trick like that. And, and, you know, it was based on a short story. So and which I've never read, so it, it may come from there. But that is, I feel like people have no idea the intricacy of making that work and never making it too obvious, but never obfuscating it enough that you're like lying to the audience exactly. You know, that there's not a scene where you can go back and be like, wait, but if that was going on, they wouldn't have acted like this. You know? Yes. Yeah, the, it is. It's seamless. Yeah. You don't look back on it and go, well, that doesn't work. But I guess um, like that whole part of the plot, not to spoil it for people, did not come from the short story. I guess it kind of came from a fictionalized version of... I want to say I might be pronouncing this incorrectly. The Mayerling or the Meyerling? Yeah, incident. I was reading about that the other yeah, day. Yeah, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, Eisenheim, the Illusionist. I haven't read either Stephen Milhauser's short story or short short story collection. You know, you have some really good um, writers that were involved in this. Um, yeah, and it, Neil Berger was actually the screenwriter of this one. But you also, yeah. when you look at the producers and stuff behind this, you have Brian Koppelman, yeah. uh, David Levine. So it's just they were attracted to a really good story, and you can see that. Yeah, I've like, heard, and and I don't know if this has anything to do with how like this poorly the film played out over award season. So that there was some kind of a massive split between the producers at some point in oh, in yeah, the process Yari and Yari and, and yeah and, and Shulman the, I believe that that caused like half of the kind of the money team to abandon the project entirely yes. so it got kind of forgot about but it's heartbreaking because I mean I feel like everybody should see this movie I will recommend this movie to anyone it's it has it, it's just so good. It's one yeah. of those ones where you're just like, everybody's at the top of their game. Like yes. nobody is phoning it in on any level of craft or performance. No, not at all. And like, you can see um, they, they list the magicians that were big technical advisors that Norton, I mean, he is um, a very old school style actor, but yeah, he was working with James Friedman, Ricky Jay, Michael Weber, and Scott Penrose. And they said Friedman in particular was like the biggest collaborator coming up with some of the little sleight of hand tricks and then some of the major like things they were going to wind up using in the film and so that was cool and also you can see the impact that it might have had on Norton too because when he made uh, Motherless Brooklyn he hired um, a Pope to be his cinematographer yeah. again yeah yeah so I'm glad I, it seems like he liked it so yes. that, that's good <laughs> yeah and it's another one where the magic feels very tactile you know yeah. like there's, there's little things like when he's doing the trick with the sword at the oh my party, gosh Yes. And you can hear when he sticks it on the ground, there's like a buzzing sound because he's yes. using some kind of magnet system for sure to do this trick. But it's subtle. It's not over the top. And it's like, but it's one of those things that you as the audience is like, oh, no, this is real world. I'm not seeing CG. I'm not seeing a fantasy premise happening. I'm seeing really, really good stage magic. And I think that helps the film I mean, obviously there's effects that are are not totally possible, but I also think the interesting thing about setting, you know, this, this is set, what, early 19th century? Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the sepia color palette is reminding you constantly that you're in the past. And 
I, I kind of in my own head, and I don't know how you feel about this, justify some of the magic effects that are clearly CG with like, this is how it would have looked to that audience, to an audience that wasn't familiar with technology. This would have been mind blowing and beyond something they'd ever seen. So it oh, kind yeah. of works. If I'm part of so. the audience, it makes sense that it's a little beyond what would have actually been possible. Yeah. yeah. And they were doing stuff with like rear projection and sure. the way that they were. So I kind of forgive it too, because they were, you know, they were playing with technology a lot in these, uh, I was doing some reading about that, like, well, how would that have worked again? I don't want to spoil too much, but um, anyone who is listening, who hasn't seen the film, do check it out because for sure. Yeah. It, it's stunning. Yes. Yeah. And um, as far as, you know, surprises go. I I love a good uh, twist ending, like you were saying, where you're with Paul Giamatti as he's figuring this out. And that's kind of what led us to choose Now You See Me, which is not the greatest of uh, magic movies, but it, it does have a good twist ending, kind of. I feel like some of these movies, after they saw, like, Sixth Sense and Usual Suspects and those kind of, like, well, we got to do that. Um, and you know what? Now you see me. I watched it the other night and I had seen it, I think, once or twice before, a couple times probably. It's just a lot of fun to watch. It's using magic uh, in the way that the, like you said, the CG and the technology, and it's almost like a superhero slash magic. Yeah. Movie. yeah, <laughs> yeah. These people are doing all kinds of crazy stuff. In no way can you root any of this stuff in reality, but it's a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, it is fun. It It is fun. But it, it does. The movie kind of baffles me because yeah. it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe is going on. Like, yeah, it becomes Mission Impossible at one point with like cars flying off a bridge yeah. and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And it definitely has scenes where once you know what the twist is, you go back and you're like, they wouldn't be acting like this. They, yes. This is all planned. They know what's going on. So why are they suddenly freaking out when there's no <laughs> one here to watch them? That does yes. not, it does not, uh, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't hold, hold water. That. No. But that yeah. is a testament to how hard it is to do uh, to do that kind of a puzzle box movie. It, it is really difficult. I don't know. There, there is a lot of fun in this movie. Like, I understand why audiences really liked it. I think it did pretty well, the first one, at least, in the, in like, yeah, with, it with like audiences. Yeah, Choice Award or yeah, something. Yeah, it's, it's entertainment. It's fun. You know, it's that kind of, like, David Copperfieldy magic that's very showy and very yes. flashy and does, for me, cross into the sleazy zone. I mean, they're yeah. all, they're it's weirdly uninterested in the magicians as characters at all. I know. I, I you, found that really interesting. Like, we don't know anything about these people, really. You have, except... like, three scenes with them. Yeah. And yeah. there's just, like, a lot of fat jokes about Isla Fisher that are unbelievable. And, like... Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you get that she was the assistant of Jesse Eisenberg and... Like, that's the extent of the backstory of That's anyone. it. Yeah. Yep. You're like, okay, so Isla was her, her the assistant of that. And, like, they knew Dave Franco at one point, but we don't know why or how. Or, you know, Woody Harrelson is clearly having a lot of fun. I think everybody enjoyed making this movie, except I guess Isla Fisher almost died in that scene where... um you know, she was in the the tank. With oh my these. God, did she? Yes. They thought she was just an incredible actress, but a chain got stuck. And so she's acting it. And finally, like a stunt coordinator, somebody realized, wait, and like hit a quick release. But oh, yeah, wow. she almost drowned making uh, Now You See Me, which is terrifying. But well, um, I can understand why she didn't come back for the sequel. Yeah, she was pregnant. But also, I, I think she was probably like, I don't want to almost drown no, again. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Nobody else had to almost drown. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The movie is almost entirely from Ruffalo's perspective. Who also doesn't really have a character. He's just sort of FBI guy. He is FBI guy and his character, you know, there there's a reveal about him later on that that as Jessica was implying, once you start like 
going back in your mind, you're like, I don't know if that really works. And, yeah. like, you know, and what was his whole backstory? We don't, we don't know. And um, I also found it interesting because it is Ruffalo and he's making like the Marvel movies at this period of time, because there is a lot of like, they feel like superheroes essentially in this movie. And so you kind of wonder like, you know, no wonder he had to go and make other movies at the time that were more in line with his indie upbringing. Yeah. yeah like, you know, I'm making this stuff. I mean, uh, I was talking to my friend Donald Logue a couple weeks ago in um, LA and his son was in the room and I can't remember which Ruffalo movie he was talking about, but he said when they made Zodiac, Ruffalo told him it took like several hundred something like and I looked it up too to make sure I wasn't giving a fact that was private no Ruffalo said this in interviews something like 600 auditions to get his first role which is incredible you think you would have given up at that point it's like stay with it and he stayed with it and so you're excited that he's in these big movies but at the same time you're also really glad because he's an incredible actor that He's kind of staying with those roots of like you can count on me and the movies that made oh yeah fall along I mean, with he, him. He yeah. is such a, a fine, fine actor, and and yeah. and it, it's odd that in this movie, at times you're like, I don't know what he's really doing in the. <laughs> was this just a paycheck one for him? Yes. It's not totally sure. And I, you know, I love him. I think his performance in Spotlight is one of my favorite. Oh my of god, all times he's, he's incredible. Yeah. But yeah, it's just an odd movie. It. I think they probably had fun making it. I think a lot of people were there for the money there wasn't a lot of challenge in the material and yeah and this is one where the magic just drives me crazy because it it is unlike the illusionist where i can give that barrier of like this is how it would like i'm seeing stuff happening on stage that i know is not possible i think your observation that they're superheroes is so spot on that's a great way to look at it because it's just like yeah there's We're stuff. Robin Banks. Like it's, yeah. it's a cross between a Mission Impossible movie and an Avengers movie. Yeah. Well, it's like, do does this movie need magic at all? It's just a heist <laughs> movie. It's it it's really just is. like it, the magic is just kind of a MacGuffin. It's just like it's just the form that the heist is taking and it's all a distraction. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. really a strange. I can't believe there's a sequel to this movie. That's kind of the ones where I, one of the ones where I'm like. I know why what more and why is it not called now you don't (laughs) that's so true yeah now you see me too makes no sense no exactly (laughs) what what was that about but kind of like now you see me the original oh there's a joke but um but yeah and I guess there was going to be a third movie and it's (laughs) what they have called never happened but uh yeah yeah Yeah. it's an odd one and you know this is magic as an as a tool of revenge which is an interesting idea like as a as a is or as a tool of justice really there though which there's questions about that too a little bit to illusionist as far as like trying to protect and save yeah. and like something going on again we're not spoiling it but but yeah this is basically a heist movie or a comeuppance movie you had michael Caine and morgan freeman now for them clearly it's a paycheck movie yeah. they just kind of walk <laughs> on and say things essentially like, everybody yes. is cast as themselves in this movie it's yes. incredible there are no characters it's just like <laughs> oh there's jesse eisenberg being a smart ass and there's woody yeah. harrelson being a little a good old boy with it's a little sneaky yeah. it's just like oh they just did they write these characters just for these people yes melanie laurent you're like okay she's the french chick yeah she's just there in french yeah yes exactly and you it, do have uh louis uh leterrier i don't know if i'm saying that correctly is the director he made the transporter movies which again are nonsensical but they're fun because yeah. jason statham like you know, sliding around in oil and fighting people. What What's not to love there? But yeah. Yeah, he yeah. has kind of a Guy Ritchie sensibility about him that his stuff is entertaining. Like you're, yeah. you're just going to entertain it. But when you stop and think about it for two seconds, and I don't think yes. anybody that's heavily involved in film cannot do that. You then, I don't know about your reaction to that, but that's when I start getting very, very angry. <laughs> yes, it's a good movie to watch. Like when you have the flu or you're not, yes. you know, like An airplane, you can't really think. It's a 
really good airplane movie. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Nobody's really sitting down and going, you know what? I'm going to watch Ingmar Bergman on an airplane right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, unless they're no. flying to to Sweden. Yes. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's I would like to watch this one with a real magician just to watch them turn like <laughs> darker and darker shades of red as they got furious at this film. Yes. Yeah. And uh, put out like a commentary track, sort of like a mystery science theater where it's just them going bullshit every two minutes. I can't. I I think, yeah, if Penn Jillette watched this movie, he would explode explode. through a building. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, other movies on magic that you want to recommend to anyone listening or just stuff that feels like you know, of this type with good twists or this time of year. I mean, sky's the limit. I just thought it would be sort of a fun episode to throw together for Halloween is why I thought, well, this is perfect. Let me think. Well, Watcher in the Woods, I I will always recommend. It's I rewatched that a couple weeks ago after not seeing it for a few years. It's genuinely a spooky movie. The way it is shot, the ending makes no sense. I watched that movie at least 45 times as a child. And as an adult, I had no idea what the ending was. Okay, Um, But but that one is a great spooky one. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of like spooky, but not scary. Um, I love Clue. I'll always go back to Clue. Um, yes i love the yeah. original shot in the dark which is a good halloween movie that um gosh i'm trying to think you've put me on the spot uh <laughs> i'm a know, huge fan yeah. of the joan hickson miss marple adaptations all of those are great mysteries they very are. spooky i love She's wonderful. agatha christie yeah. uh, adaptations especially like david suchet and you know oh yeah are- fabulous you brought up um something that made me think uh, because you said i can't handle jump scares but i like magic now there are some jump scares in that movie that might you know be too much but what lies beneath i think is a lot of a lot of fun it's like a hitchcockian robert zemeckis movie it's genuinely scary Ooh, at the okay. end. there's some twists but, you know, it's PG-30. It's basically like a rear window crossed with um, some kind of a ghost story type Ooh, thing. Oh, I like that. And you have uh, Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. And so it, it's really good. But, yeah, there are a bunch of jump scares. So, okay. Um, so maybe I'll go like, to that website. There's a website that lists oh, okay, when good, all good, the jump good. scares like, are in movies. There's a cat coming. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yes. I need that, unfortunately, because, yeah, my heart I might I didn't know there was a website. You know, it makes sense. There's a website for everything um i i'm guilty of using run p occasionally like you know what's if it's that just me. it's an app where it tells you a good time to like run to the bathroom if you have to <laughs> oh, and what amazing. happens and so i needed to use it for the new mission impossible movie uh because it was super long and i have a bad back and i'm like i'm probably gonna need to go Sometimes you can stand on the side of the theater or the back, but then other times you're like, I'm in people's way, so I'm just going to go to the restroom. And so it's a perfect app for that. It tells you, like, you have two minutes, and then you come back, and here's what you missed. And it's just like, uh, and it tells you the line, like Tom Cruise says, blah, or blah, blah. And you're like, okay, and like, go. That's genius. That is is genius. Yeah. I didn't know there was a jump scare. What is that one called? What? Like website for telling you jump scares. You know what? I don't know what it's called. If you just look up jump scares in movies, I think there's literally a site that will have every movie in existence on there. And it's it just lists, it gives you the time code for it. So you couldn't really use it in a theater, but you can use it on anything you're watching at home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will keep that handy anytime I'm watching something scary because I just, I like the idea of scary movies, but uh, in theory, yeah. My nervous system is not capable of handling them very yeah. well yeah i remember i'm trying to think like watcher in the woods was genuinely scary when i was a kid but i haven't oh, yeah. seen it since the burbs is a lot of fun it's one of my you favorites i've never actually seen that i oh, did, my had gosh. no idea that movie was scary i've heard people reference it as scary and i'm like you're kidding right and they're like no so when you're a kid it's i mean it's a little spooky as an adult but when you're a kid it, it's kind of scary it's one of those things where you know growing up in suburbia you you have that one neighbor who kind of creeps you out, sort of like a Boo sure. Radley situation where you're not really. And um, so it kind of plays on that. You have Carrie Fisher and uh, Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern. I mean, I need you to like report back to me. When okay, you watch I've got to see that. Because 
Corey Feldman. I mean, it's hilarious. You're going to love this movie. All I've ever seen is that clip where someone yells at Corey Feldman for being annoying on set. That's the only thing, like a behind the scenes <laughs> thing where he's just won't shut up. And one of the other actors is like, oh knock God, it off, kid. Funny. That's all I've ever seen. So yeah, I've got to gotta watch okay, that one. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait for you to see that. Is there anything else you can recommend? I have gone totally blank. I feel so bad. Oh, you're fine. I I I know there are other movies that I like that are nice and spooky, but I just nothing. No, you're fine. Nothing is coming to mind. Okay, well, let's pivot then. Favorite fall recipes or anything <laughs> that's for this time of year. Do you have like a a thing you do for Halloween? Uh, yes, on Halloween I make donuts. Um, oh my gosh, what kind? Just just like plain, usually covered with cinnamon sugar or like a maple glaze. But my mom always growing up, that was the only year she would get out her deep fryer and, and make donuts. And so she doesn't like doing it anymore because she's 80 and I get that. Uh, so now I have become the family donut maker. Um, oh, my goodness. And we we make like, I mean, like 75 donuts and people just eat them the entire day. So oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's okay. once a year. I need uh, to go. Yeah. I, yeah, I you should come. Apple they'll be donut. Are you kidding? That's amazing. Yeah, they'll yeah. be plenty. But yeah, that's it. I I did that. I did a pumpkin streusel muffin a couple of weeks ago that was spectacular. Ooh. I have found that the key to all good pumpkin goods this time of year is to put a little bit of crystallized ginger in them, so you get those bites of sh- sharp ginger in the middle of pumpkin. That's heavenly. Ooh, that sounds really good. Yeah, I am a hopeless uh, cook. I think the only thing that we do in fall, like growing up, was we would make like um, sort of in the crock pot. It was roast beef. It was carrots. It was potatoes. Kind of like a a stew type thing for for this time of year was always good. But other than that, no, we have to go to the apple orchard to get those apple cinnamon donuts. And, you know, it's perfect for this time of year. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. I love when it, it's, it hasn't quite gotten cold yet, but like I, I can't wait till it gets cold enough when it's like lentil stew and curry, pumpkin curry time and all, all that, all the hearty foods. I feel like a little hobbit. What we're saying is if they're, you know, the strike had gone on longer. Jessica could have opened up like a, a donut business. It was breaking my heart to have moved out of LA just in time where my baked goods could have been contributing to the world. I I really was sad. I was like, can I airmail <laughs> baked goods down to the strike lines? But oh. oh, well. Yes. Well, Jessica, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining me. We're going to have to do this again next time you have a topic. I kind of just like attacked you with this topic like we're doing this no it was great uh, yeah always such a pleasure thank you thank you for having me it was always lovely to talk to you of course i also want to thank everyone for listening especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment film rentals RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.